the Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. I'm Kate Setter. I'm your host for today. And we are excited to be recording episode number 12. We're talking about breastfeeding today, and my guest, Dr. Julie Ware, has joined us today. She's a physician in our Center for Breastfeeding Medicine. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Ware. Thank you. It's a privilege to be with you. So glad to have you. And I think that um, we're, we're talking about this topic because August is breastfeeding awareness month correct this is national breastfeeding month yes for the united states since 2011 um for many years beyond that we've had world breastfeeding week for the entire world the first week of august but now in the u.s we celebrate the entire month as national breastfeeding month and as part of that celebration here at cincinnati children's we're going to have a whole conversation today about this important first few months of um, feeding infants. And Dr. Ware, your center is called the Center for Breastfeeding Medicine. And I love that we call it medicine at Cincinnati Children's. So would you just kind of start off our conversation with a lay of the land of how we think about breastfeeding at Cincinnati Children's and how you think about it in your practice? Sure. Um, Just getting started, uh, before I talk more about breastfeeding and the provision of human milk, I'd like to just take a pause and mention that we are moving the conversation from breastfeeding to breastfeeding, chest feeding, to be all-inclusive, and from mothers to parents. But for the purposes of our discussion today, I will be mostly talking about breastfeeding and mothers. But at Cincinnati Children's, we help all families provide human milk. Um, so uh, why is it called breastfeeding medicine? Well, breastfeeding and the provision of human milk, they are one of the most important primary prevention health behaviors that affect two patients, the mother and the baby. And breastfeeding is recommended exclusively for the first six months, continuing for the first year of life and beyond um, by all major health organizations. Um, Breastfeeding reduces the risk of so many conditions for the mother and the baby, both short and long term. For the baby, it reduces the risk of ear infections, diarrhea, lower respiratory tract infections, including RSV, and long-term health outcomes such as diabetes type 1 and 2, asthma, allergies, obesity, even some childhood cancers, and some inflammatory bowel disease. So, so, so important. And sudden infant death syndrome, just a horrible outcome for any family to go through, is reduced in babies who breastfeed, especially if they breastfeed any uh, at all up through two months. It's reduced um, and it's one of the causes of infant mortality. We found a, a reduced all-cause infant mortality by 20% in the U.S. in a recent study. We've seen improved IQ in babies who are breastfed. And then mothers have a reduced risk of um, breast, ovarian, endometrial cancer. They have reduced hypertension 
and diabetes type 2 and sometimes postpartum depression. So you see it's intricately involved in so many health outcomes in, involved in medicine and so helping mothers to achieve that is our goal in the Center for Breastfeeding Medicine. We're very lucky that we see the mom and the baby as our patient in the center. And so we can look at all the factors that come together to make uh, breastfeeding a success. So I'm certain that in the center you see moms whose, um, whose babies perhaps entered the world a little early or have some medical complications at birth. Does that change kind of the approach for, um, for helping a family with providing um, human milk? Or, um, you know, do you, do you look at medically complex babies any different than typically developing babies? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, and we have a lot of those babies at Cincinnati Children's. And even more important for them to have their own mother's milk, it may not come directly from the breast if they are too little. Um, if they have certain um, congenital anomalies, it may be pumped human milk that they receive. But for our premature babies, uh, breastfeeding breast milk reduces the incidence of necrotizing enterocolitis, which is a, a very, very uh, difficult condition and sometimes even causes mortality. So the neonatologist will call it uh, baby's first medicine <laughs> and um, think of it more like a medicine in the protective effect that it has. So certain conditions like cleft lip and palate may be more inclined to get ear infections and we already talked about how breastfeeding can reduce ear infections. So um, yes, we try everything we can to promote uh, the provision of human milk for our babies, well babies and uh, babies with complex conditions. So these new babies and their parents who are doing everything that they can to provide human milk to them, is the benefit of the milk um, or is the benefit of the breastfeeding or chest feeding, um, is it specifically about the milk itself or is there also benefit to the act of feeding at the chest? Well, there's definitely a benefit to feeding at the chest breast from the bonding um, feeling that a mother has when she does that. Um, and there's also a component of transfer from the baby to the mother, some of the bacteria that might be on the baby's skin, nose, mouth, into the mother that then she can make antibodies from. So it's a bi-directional, um, they're, they're, we call them breastfeeding dyads because they're almost, uh, some people have called the mother and the baby a symbiotic organism like they're really one when you're breastfeeding. But um, the provision of human milk that's been pumped is also absolutely fabulous and full of antibodies that mom has created for the baby. And it's full of a lot more than nutrition. It's full of antibodies and immune protection and very important. So however, however we get it there is good. <laughs> however we deliver that liquid gold. Mm-hmm. So I'm particularly interested in the immune protection that you said can be passed from 
mom to baby uh, through the act of breastfeeding. Can you tell us a bit more about that, please? Yes. So we actually call breastfeeding or breast milk feeding baby's first immunization. It's so important. The factors aren't just the antibodies, although secretory IgA is the antibody that's um, most abundant in breast milk and helps coat the infant gut and prevent um, infection. But um, other factors are in milk. There are multiple factors, more than we can really talk about today, that aren't antibodies but are still immune protection that are in the actual milk. And a lot of them, like the oligosaccharides, are um, made specifically in one mom that'll be different from another mom and to protect her own special baby in her own environment. So some people call it um, personalized medicine also. And so um, we do recommend that babies, of course, get their recommended vaccinations. This isn't to take the place of the recommended vaccinations for babies. But um, with the onset of COVID, we do recommend now that moms may go ahead and have the COVID vaccine if they're breastfeeding. And we know that there, there are immune protection factors that are transmitted to the baby. And early studies are showing antibody production with the vaccine uh, that are transmitted to the baby. So um, especially right now, this seems a really important way. It's going to be a very long time before a baby will get a COVID vaccine. So um, it is recommended now that moms can take the COVID vaccine if breastfeeding. So knowing that um, this is a recommendation of the American Academy of Pediatrics, that, um, that babies are, um, are breastfed for the first, what was that, that recommendation again? Make sure I get it right. Exclusively, which means nothing but the breast milk for okay. six months and then continuing with the addition of complementary foods for at least 12 months, and then as long thereafter as is mutually desired by mom and baby. Okay. So how do we think about it for the families who, who may be struggling? I, I know that um, you know if we happen to reach a mom who is, um, who, whose breastfeeding journey isn't going quite the way that she would want it to at the moment. Um, what would you say to that mom? Well, first of all, I want to make sure she has all the support in place that she needs to be able to be successful with breastfeeding, if that is her goal, to breastfeed or, or provide human milk. Um, at the Center for Breastfeeding Medicine, because we do see mom and baby, we can get into the support system and find out who's on deck to help mom achieve her goals. Um, and um, so we try to follow along with them every step of the way, which is actually the uh, National Breastfeeding Month theme for this year, because it, uh, it may be an old term, it takes a village, but it really does take a village with breastfeeding. Um, and so pulling all those support systems together to help her meet her goals is what we try to do. And if she's building a team of people to help her, who should she have on that team? That's a great question. Um, 
the the first week of National Breastfeeding Month is called World Breastfeeding Week, and this year it's it's called Protect Breastfeeding: A Shared Responsibility. So it talks about those team members. So one of which is the family, and families will have some families will have a co-parent, um, some families will have a grandma, aunties. Uh, neighbors, friends, but the workplace is involved in this, especially for our moms who have to go back to work early. Um, the hospital system, which is where where we come in, the pediatrician, the obstetrician, um, community support groups, um, and the hospital itself of the birth hospital is a huge area where uh, that first encounter with breastfeeding is going to happen. That um, is a wonderful place to get support. And all of our area birth hospitals are on board with protecting, promoting, and supporting breastfeeding. And I know that there are some pediatric practices. You mentioned the pediatric practices. Um, some even have um, lactation consultants on staff in pediatric practices. Um, so would you recommend that it ask questions, see who's out there that can help if there are new moms who are looking for it? Because I know that we might reach people who are not necessarily in Cincinnati and some areas might not be as quite as well set up as we are. Absolutely. If, if uh, that is a goal of yours and you have the availability to, to go to a pediatric practice or family medicine practice who has a lactation consultant on staff, that is excellent because that means you don't have to schedule a separate trip over to us at Cincinnati Children's or back to the birth hospital. If someone's right there in the practice, if you need help, that's excellent. Fantastic. New, new moms and new parents um, often put a lot of pressure on themselves to make breastfeeding work. Is there a point at which you know, negative impact of stress and anxiety might outweigh the benefits of the breastfeeding? Well, at, at our Center for Breastfeeding Medicine, uh, we are able to really dig down into that situation with each mother-baby dyad and family that we see. And so we go over that with the mother. Is she, is she at the point where it's, it's harder for her to continue to breastfeed and or attempt to breastfeed and or pump her milk? Um, is she so stressed that it's she's not able to be a happy healthy thriving mother for her baby and so we kind of help her through that journey and that self-realization of of where she is we always support her whatever she wants to do for some moms the continuing the trying is 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 what they want to do and for some moms it's almost like give me permission to to stop and and then we congratulate her for giving her baby a good start. She's given those first those first weeks or however much she's gone, and we congratulate her. And we also tell her that although 84% of moms start breastfeeding, only about 35% are still breastfeeding at all by a year, and only about 25% make it to that six-month exclusive right that we recommend so that they're not alone because sometimes you had a, a goal in your mind and um, you're not making it but they're not alone so if through the breastfeeding journey what should 
families be looking for to tell them that it's working, that the baby's thriving, that the baby is um, is getting the nutrition and uh, what they need from from the mother's milk? That is a great question, and um, the pediatric visits, which are so important. Um, at the Center for Breastfeeding Medicine, we only see babies after they've been to their primary care visit. We're a consultant. So the pediatrician and or family physician is the go-to person who's gonna see that baby from the first visit after discharge till 18 or more. And the same scale is used to weigh the baby and the weight is the gold standard for knowing everything's going well. We anticipate a baby's gonna eat eight to 12 times per 24 hours. That's um, kind of a check mark. If your baby's eating 24 times a day, that's probably indication something's not quite right. But the gold standard, um, it's not a lab test, but objective measure is the weight. And so if there's any concern a family has going into the pediatrician to do a quick weight check will we'll help guide. And it needs to be an accurate weight, not standing on your scale at home and holding the baby because we're talking about little little changes in those first days anyway. So it's perfectly okay to call the pediatrician and say, can we come in for a weight check? Yes. They will. They'll love it. They'll love it. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. Perfect. If a family finds that the baby isn't gaining weight, is that pediatrician then going to provide that flag to them to, to say, okay, let's, let's see what we need to do next? Absolutely. That's uh, a lot of times when we get a referral to the Center for Breastfeeding Medicine. Um, again, I'd like to highlight our area birth hospitals all have outpatient lactation visits as well. So we're not the only game in town. But um, when, when there is a red flag about weight, when they come into our clinic, what we do is we go through a history on both mom and baby, exam both mom and baby. Then we get to observe an entire feeding. Um, during that feeding, we're going to look at, is the baby latching well? And we're going to be listening for swallows and looking at mom's positioning. And then we're going to weigh before and after the feeding. And that number is going to tell us how much milk was transferred. So in addition to hearing mom's story about whether she might have enough milk, we're also going to see how much is the baby taking. And then um, then we can add that to the history of the failure to gain weight. And we can, it's a bit like detective work to try to figure out where the problem is. But then we can help the pediatrician recommend, is a supplement needed? How much of a supplement? Um, do we need extra pumping to help mom's supply boost up? That sort of thing. The idea of milk sharing. I'm curious. Um, I think that that term might mean some different things to some different people. Um, would you kind of give us the lay of the land on babies consuming milk from other mothers? Yes, that's a, that's a great question. It's happening all the time now. Um, it was happening years and years ago in the form of wet nursing. But nowadays, there there is a, a kind of a scary way to share milk, which is on the internet from unknown donors, especially if it's paid for milk. We recommend no one purchase milk on the internet. There are studies that have been done that have shown this milk can be contaminated with either bacteria and or cow's milk or, you know, mixed together with a mother's milk. and. Uh, 
have drugs in the milk that were not reported, um, so we don't recommend any kind of purchase of milk. Um, if you are going to share with someone, it is if you're going to be the recipient, we suggest that the mother find out certain things like does the donor, can they share their HIV status? HIV is one of those conditions that is transmitted through breast milk. Um, is the mother on any drugs that are contraindicated in breastfeeding, even prescription drugs? There are not very many, but we should know that information. And then what are the social behaviors of the donor? Um, do they use any illicit drugs? Um, um, and what is their sexual history of themselves and their partner? Are they at risk for then developing HIV? So those are hard questions to ask someone, but if you were going to be a donor to a milk bank, you would be screened for all of these things. And if you're gonna give your baby some precious milk, you wanna know that it's safe. Um, so we are very lucky in Ohio to have a, a very robust Ohio Mother's Milk Bank. And they provide, I think they told me 14 states that they provide milk to, not just Ohio. And they do also provide milk to some term babies, not just our premature babies, if they have enough quantity and if there is a prescription for uh, the milk from a physician. So, so um, and it can also be purchased directly, but it is costly. Okay. And if there was a mother who had extra milk, um, how do the donations to the milk bank work? That's a great question. They would love to have your milk if you are a super producer more than what your baby needs. Um, we actually have two depot sites in Cincinnati, but you go through the Ohio Mother's Milk Bank and they help you with some screening questions. If they find you are a suitable donor, then they require uh, some limited lab work. And then if they vet you as a donor, they help you collect and send um, the milk to them. And then what they do is they pull several mother's milk samples together and then pasteurize it before then they give it to any other recipient. So let's talk a little bit about, you said we recognize that families come in all shapes and sizes. And if a family does have a co-parent in the picture with the baby, do you have any recommendations for how that family could think about that um, that partner or co-parent being involved? I think that's one of the most important parts of breastfeeding success if you're uh, lucky enough to have a co-parent in your corner um, because that support is so important. It's, it's tiring, especially in the beginning days, and um, you need somebody to help bring the baby to you. Uh, rub your back while you're breastfeeding or getting ready, helping you with all the pillows so you do position the baby correctly. Um, sometimes partners can help with kind of massaging lightly uh, the breasts if that's acceptable to each other. Not vigorous massage, but just very light. Sometimes helps milk to flow. And then um, sometimes waking sleepy babies up is, is something that co-parents can do so the babies are ready to eat and and vigorous when mom gets them and then all the other tasks of the household have to be done but ideally we want moms to feed the baby 
be fed herself and rest because it's going to turn around and be time to do it again very shortly. So there's a lot for a co-parent to do. And it's so exciting that more and more of our businesses are giving um, extended leave for fathers. Um, COVID has had an unusual um, silver lining that a lot of dads have been able to work at home in the beginning anyway. So even though they were at work, they could still come out and help for our feeding and go back to the next meeting. Um, so I hope more and more businesses catch on to that. I love silver linings in COVID. I think we need to like keep a list of them because especially as things are ramping back up, it's getting hard again. So the silver linings are good and I like that one a lot. Um, speaking of how workplaces can help, when if there's a mom who works outside the home um, and it's time for her to go back to work, what, what advice do you have families during that have for families during that time of transition that might help them just prepare for it or be ready for what may come? That's a great question too. I think uh, that's a really hard thing for moms to have to go back to work. We we weren't meant to have to feed get to feed our babies and go do a job and take care of our household, but that's where many of us are. So if mom can first of all ask for as much leave as her company will allow the more the better um but that's you you don't always get what you ask for um if she's been exclusively breastfeeding if she can start pumping a little bit of milk to store a couple of weeks before she goes back if she hasn't already been pumping a lot she needs a little bit for that first day to help her feel okay about leaving her baby and then uh, talk to her employer before she goes back to say, I will be pumping at work and I'm going to need to pump X many times because my baby's feeding every three hours or whatever the current feeding schedule is because we really want her to pump as often as the baby feeds at home to keep her steady state of her milk supply. Often when moms go back to work, their milk supply dips, so we really want to try to, unless she's a super producer, to keep her pumping on the same sort of schedule the baby uh, is eating. And we're very lucky that the Affordable Care Act put into place through the Fair Labor Standards Act um, um, employer uh, requirements for them to help moms pump at work to provide a place that's not a bathroom that's clean and private and as often as she needs to pump for her baby so those are in place and um, we're very fortunate to have those those uh, rules in place and then the Ohio workplace plus program is rolling out some suggestions for businesses in Ohio and we're reaching out to some local businesses also to share best practices to support their employees. So anyone listening to the podcast that knows of a business that we should contact, um, this these are materials that have been created that we can provide to the business to help them help their families. And then the Office of Women's Health has a beautiful summary for employers to help nursing moms, showing them how you can help a mom even if you're at a fast food restaurant, even if you're picking berries on the farm. There's a way to provide for moms to pump their milk at work. So we have a lot of resources for employers um, 
as well as employees. And I like that there's been such a, you know, such an important shift toward making sure that there's space for moms to either breastfeed when they're out and about or pump. Um, and I, the one that I'm thinking of because it was just top of mind is Kings Island has a beautiful facility for, um, for moms and babies. And I just, I really like that, that, um, movement in our society to make sure that there's space. Yes, it's, um, some people say make breastfeeding the easy choice, you know, um, so you don't have to worry about how am I going to do this, make it easy. You know, how can we help as many moms as possible feel prepared and comfortable to, um, to make the choice to provide milk? Absolutely. This is one of my, um, heartstrings that I want all moms to be able to breastfeed if they so choose and um, we uh, we have been working on this in Cincinnati and before I moved here in Memphis Tennessee to help provide support for women who are in communities where there is less breastfeeding and we see this especially in the non-Hispanic black population and it's not just here it's over the whole United States um, lots of people are, are working on this um, but um, everyone needs support like we started talking about from the very beginning of this conversation and so here in Cincinnati I'm really proud of our amen peer-to-peer support group it's called all moms empowered to nurse and what we did was train champion breastfeeding moms from Avondale and um, train them to be peer peer-to-peer supporters and they are the leaders of this group and it's another silver COVID lining that we meet now virtually weekly, whereas previously we could only meet in person twice a month, but now we can meet every week. And um, we would we would love anyone who's listening who, who wants to join us. We have guest speakers come and talk about topics that maybe aren't just breastfeeding. And um, because supporting new moms in all areas will enhance their breastfeeding success and the some of our champion moms we've increased our champion moms by training um and now some of them have breastfed over three years and they never thought that they would um some of them have been exclusive pumpers so they they bring all sorts of um real life experiences to the table and really support each other. So uh, thank you for bringing that up because uh, I'm very proud of them. Thank you for that work that you're doing in the community in addition to the work in the walls of the hospital that you're doing too. Um, it's important work and we, we're glad that you're here at Cincinnati Children's doing it. So I think that we've covered a whole lot as we've been talking um, and hope that we have you know, provided some, some information that some parents can use, either parents who are um, getting ready to start their parenting journey or um, some that might be in it. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you wanna make sure that we, we get in here while we're having this conversation? Well, I think one thing we, um kind of didn't talk too much about is kind of what to expect at the hospital when they go in and um, preparing during the prenatal period is really important so if you are expecting 
if you can take a breastfeeding class now with COVID, some of these are online classes. I don't know if that's silver or not, but <laughs> um, try to take a breastfeeding class. There are Academy of Pediatrics vetted resources, printed materials that we can link uh, to this podcast as well that are excellent to read. Um, and then prepare that when the baby's born, they will put the baby on your chest skin to skin. And there is what we call the golden hour where the baby is likely to scooch on over and latch on for the very first time. And we know that increases breastfeeding success if, if it can happen. I have, everything else has to be safe with the baby before they'll do that, of course. And then expect that the hospital will keep your baby with you 24 seven. And that's not to make you tired, that's to help you understand your baby's cues so that when you go home without the hospital staff nearby, you will understand those cues. And in the hospital, you can grab somebody if, if you're concerned. And then to plan not to use um, supplemental formula unless it's a medical necessity because we know that when we introduce those bottles and formula early, we are um, encouraging earlier cessation than needed. However, if it's needed, it's needed, and we definitely always say rule number one is feed the baby. I think uh, getting your pediatrician on board and planning to see them one or two days after discharge too is something to kind of keep in mind. This has been a fantastic conversation today. Thank you, Dr. Ware, for joining me. I so appreciate your insight and your expertise in this area. And I hope we can reach some moms who needed to hear this information and need some encouragement and hopefully help them know how they can advocate for themselves and for their babies to make breastfeeding work and get that start for their children. So appreciate your time and joining us this month in, uh, in celebration and raising awareness of breastfeeding in our country. Thank you so much for having me. Can I mention one thing in addition for all the moms out there who are listening? The Ohio Department of Health has an Ohio breastfeeding hotline. So, and I've continued to talk about Center for Breastfeeding Medicine, which we are here for all of you in Cincinnati, and we will have our number on this podcast. But the Ohio breastfeeding hotline um, is 24-7. There's a lactation professional who can answer your questions weekends, 2 in the morning, when you're breastfeeding. Uh, we're so delighted and thankful to have that in Ohio. Very few other states have that. And um, we want to be sure everyone has that information along with the Center for Breastfeeding Medicine uh, because we are all here to support you for your breastfeeding journey. There is nothing I can say that could close us out any better than that. Thank you for adding that in. And thank you everyone for listening today. You've been listening to the Young and Healthy Podcast. We'll see you next week. This episode was recorded on August 26th, 2021. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Our theme music was created by Stephen Greco. Thanks, Stephen. And this episode was produced by Symphony Pitts. Thanks, Symphony. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us next week on the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.